The word of the Lord from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear hearers in Christ, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Yes, Christ is risen and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and it is all for you. Here's some more good news. The risen Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, they're in cahoots. Verse after verse after verse of our gospel reading declares that the Father and the Son are in cahoots, and they have been for a long time. And with all this power and glory and authority, what are the Father and the Son conspiring to do? First, as noted, Father and Son are all about glorifying each other. And because God is love, the glory of God in this world is to serve and to sacrifice. That's what love does. Remember when Jesus speaks these words. This is near the end of the Last Supper. He's about to be betrayed, and his crucifixion is only hours away. And it is then of all times that Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. See, the hour has come for the devil to be defeated. His only power over you is your sin. He tempts you into it, then he blackmails you with it. If you want to crush the devil's head, get rid of his weapon, sin. 
If sins are gone, Satan has nothing left to accuse you with. So that's what Jesus does on the cross. He dies for your sins. He gets rid of them. He remains true to his nature, and he saves by sacrificing himself. This is how the Son of God is glorified. He saves by love, by service, by dying in the place of sinners. In doing so, the Son glorifies the Father, who is equally about love and service. Nowhere more than at the cross are the Son and the Father both glorified. They are glorified because they are working in love to save you, save you by their work, their serving, their sacrifice. Second, the Father has given to his Son authority over all flesh for the sake of his people. And any of those who belong to the Father also belong to the Son. There's a ton of comfort in this for you. If the Son has authority over all flesh, then he is given authority to redeem all flesh. You need never wonder if you're one of the ones for whom Jesus died. Are you made of flesh? Are you in the world? Then Christ has died for you. That is his glory. Risen again, he rules over all flesh for you. It may not look like it from what you see on the evening news, but remember that the Son saves by laboring in the midst of suffering. He works patiently now so that more might repent and believe. But he exercises authority for the sake of his people. He will eventually judge the unrepentant sinner, though not because he wants to. That's called his alien work for a reason. He would prefer that they too repent and be saved. Third, on a related note, both the Father and the Son are in on your salvation because both claim you as his own. Don't take this for granted. Remember, some religions feature multiple gods who compete with each other and even war against each other, usually making humanity miserable in the process. Sometimes in Christianity, people get the idea that the Father is angry and the Son is loving, but that's not right. The one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one in essence, one in will, and one in love for you. Fourth, as the Father and the Son are one in essence, will, and love, so they are one in word. The Son speaks what the Father says. Of all the things that Father and Son could make known, it's that the Son has come down in the flesh according to his Father's will to save you by his life, his death, and his resurrection. We could go on, but we note one more thing about Father and Son. When Jesus speaks these words, he isn't teaching the disciples. He's praying. The Son is praying to the Father, and the Father is listening. 
Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he hasn't stopped yet. Jesus still prays for you. Romans 8.34 declares, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hear that? How does a risen and ascended Jesus spend his time in eternity? Praying for you. And what is the Father doing? He's listening to his son's prayers about you. Could it get better? It could. It does. There's a sobering bit in this prayer of Jesus where he says he prays for his people because they will remain in the world long after he has ascended into heaven, where he will no longer face the scorn and wrath of the world. They will. You do. But what has Jesus just told his disciples in the previous chapter? He said he will not leave them as orphans. Once he has departed by way of the cross, he will send them the Helper, the Holy Spirit. We'll hear more about that on Pentecost next week. But for now, do you know what this means? It means that this conspiracy grows. Now the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are revealed as being one. One in essence, one in will, one in word, one in love, and one in grace for you. You're not just baptized or absolved in the name of the Father and of the Son, but also the Holy Spirit. It's pretty clear by now what this conspiracy is about. All three persons of the Holy Trinity are in cahoots for your salvation. Now, honestly, to me, this is a difficult text to preach. And there's a reason for that. It's largely about who God is, not what God does or what we're to do. It's mostly about how the Father and the Son are one, busy serving each other by serving you. But still, Jesus prays that he would be glorified in you. So as we rejoice in the conspiracy of the Father and the Son, I think there are some things here that are good for self-examination. First, if the Lord is to be glorified in you, if you are to reflect his glory in some way, then you should always keep in mind that the glory of God is found in love, in service, and in sacrifice. First and foremost, this has to do with maintaining your faith. You are not made or kept holy by your strength or works. The Lord keeps you holy by keeping you in his grace and faith. First and foremost, Jesus is glorified in you when you repent of your sin and when you trust in his forgiveness. Remember what Jesus teaches in Luke 15, 7 through 10. What makes the angels of heaven rejoice? Not when Christians do great things, but when one sinner repents. Repentance, that's when the angels rejoice because that's what Jesus died for. Second, 
This then seeps into your vocation, your callings in life. If you are somehow to reflect a bit of the Lord's glory in your life, you will live a life of love, of service, and sacrifice within the callings He has given you. The Lord is not impressed with the size of your home, your paycheck, or the number of exotic pets or vacations. He's the one who has given you all these things anyway. What the Lord cares about is that you have a repentant heart and that you then act in faithful service to those around you. So live as those forgiven for much. Love and serve those around you. Don't worry so much about accumulating the things of this world. If the childhood memories of your kids are your labors of love and sacrifice, oh, then blessed are you. Don't worry about doing great things for God above and beyond the call of duty. Instead, remember that the callings you have are the ones God has given you and seek to love those within those callings. Third, rejoice in the gift of prayer. As Jesus prayed to his Father, and as Jesus prays for you, he gives you the joy of praying too. God the Father does not restrict prayer to his Son. Instead, he makes you all his children for Jesus' sake, and wants to hear you so much that he commands you to pray. In fact, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he starts out by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, he says, which means that Jesus is praying this prayer with you. Treasure the gift of prayer. Faith hears God's word and delights to speak it back to him. Word and prayer make for holy conversation with God, which is why the devil works hard to thwart both. If you're not praying, you're putting a gag on your faith, and that's not a good thing for you. So pray. Give to the Lord thanks and praise. Tell him what you have heard him say in his word, and cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Fourth, work at unity. When Jesus announces that he and the Father are one, he prays that we might be one as they are. He bids us to unity. Now, sinners will always be attracted to unity by compromise. We want to achieve oneness quickly by making teachings as general as possible so that all sorts of people with all sorts of beliefs will fit inside the tent. The more specific you become in your teaching, the more people you will exclude. Therefore, it's tempting to keep it general for the sake of unity. But this is not the unity of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He does not bid us to water down and compromise his word to accommodate sins and sinners for the sake of bigness. Rather, he bids us to achieve oneness by uniting in his word. Where he is specific, we joyfully embrace his directness. Where he is more general, we rejoice in the freedom. Make no mistake, 
Christian unity is the work of the Holy Spirit. Without him, it is impossible. With him, it's a labor of love, though a labor that will not be completed until the last day. But it is still the work that God has given us to do. Some things to think about then. Repent and be forgiven, for that is when angels rejoice. Live a life of sacrifice, for so you reflect Jesus' glory. Pray without ceasing and work tirelessly towards godly unity. With just these few things, I've given you and me a lifetime of glorious labor as well as many sins and failings to confess along the way. Which is why we'll end with this final word. Remember the joy of this conspiracy for your salvation. The triune God is in cahoots so that you might have forgiveness and life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.